So hello, um, my name is Will uh, from Basketball Network. Uh, today we have a special guest on our show. Uh, we have Kobe Carl, um, former NBA player, um, basketball player in general, and the current head coach of uh, South Bay Lakers. Uh, Kobe, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. It's exciting. Pleasure. Uh, pleasure is all mine. And, and, you know, when it comes to basketball in general uh and and you've been in the game for forever pretty much um i always like to start off with question you know since you have a very strong basketball background um growing up as being you know a son to one of the most famous nba coaches of all time what actually got you into basketball was it you know from from the from a family step standpoint or it just came naturally yeah it's a it's a really good question i, I think you know, I have two kids who are six and four right now. So I think about that a lot, um, how to cultivate their passion for whatever they do. And I thought my dad did a really masterful job of, of creating that within me and cultivating that, which I think is very difficult, especially for a personality like him. He's very passionate, very, um, uh, very competitive, wants to go get it. And, but he never forced me into it. Uh, I think my love started from being around his teams mm -hmm. and then seeing seeing the energy uh in the building during games seeing the preparation and and the camaraderie that's involved in in practice and uh in the locker room i was a ball boy for a lot of his teams you know the, the memories that are coming to mind right now are actually when i was in when we were in albany with the cba with the patroons and then moving on to spain uh, with real madrid mm -hmm. in, in those locker rooms and that's where the energy really picked up right it was uh being part of those um the acb games and copa del rey and being in those arenas uh i remember signing autographs because the fans were just so crazy it was you know it, i think i was like eight years old um so just being part of that that family the basketball family that as as you know you know being taking taking part in in the sport you just you start to get uh, you just start to get addicted to it you, you want to mm -hmm. be there you want to show up and you want to be part of it you, those friendships and, and the in the bond that is created mm -hmm. and and since uh, you, you mentioned your dad and, and he coached real madrid um in in back in the day i think it was in the late 80s yeah what was your, what was your experience did you live in spain for 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 a decent amount of time or you just came for a visit how was that experience for you yeah, up. I mean, I was young. I, I think, I think, like you, like you said, I think it was, uh, I, I was maybe like six, seven, eight mm -hmm. years old, and so we went to Albany, New York, and then he got the job in Madrid, and was there for a year, and then they brought him back another year later. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was young and and just just really learning what life was all about and kind of figuring it out as I went. Um, we were we were in Madrid both times with him. Uh, you know, the fans were crazy. I remember that, uh, you know, the culture was so different than the American culture, which was, which was fun. It was a little slower pace. Um, but uh, we were at the American School of Madrid, my sister and I, and, and we, we were just kids, you know, we were, we were enjoying ourselves. I remember I was in judo class learning some Spanish and, uh, you know, things were different. And that was kind of my, my uh, introduction to just how the world is so different outside of mm. outside of our, our small countries or our countries that we live in mm. and it gives you a different perspective you know you get it kind of enriches 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 you as a person 
Absolutely. Um, especially as you grow up, I guess you kind of appreciate it more because you have that experience with you. And uh, you actually, I was, you know, when I, when I was doing a bit of research on you, um, you actually had a very uh, interesting, uh, well, in my opinion, interesting basketball career as a player. You've been all over the place. You've been in the G League, uh, in the NBA. You played in Europe. Um, can you give us a bit of a breakdown of, 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 of who, who you were as a player and, and what kind of, you know, different experiences did you had during your playing days when you were a Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, <laughs> like you said, my, uh, you know, my career, I think was about eight years, maybe nine. Mm. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was different. Um, you know, I don't think there's not too many people that took the same path that I've taken. I was a, I was a late bloomer physically. Um, and even as with the skills of the game and, uh, and, and so I was a walk-on out of high school and I went to Boise State University as a walk-on, ended up getting a scholarship and earning my way into, into the lineup and, um, performed at a decent level. And then I went undrafted again. So kind of a walk-on to the professional ranks and ended up making the team with the Lakers. But my, my goal was always to be in the NBA. I just wanted to be in the NBA. So everything I was doing was, I just want to be part of it. Part of what I had experienced with my dad's teams in Seattle and Denver and Milwaukee. And, um, because the NBA is just, it's the best of the best, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh and and I want to be part of that so even you know after I got released from a couple different teams I my wife and I ended up making our way to Europe and and participating in you know really 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 high level basketball which I was completely naive to which you know most young American basketball players are mm -hmm. uh, and played in Spain and um, ended up in Italy for a little bit in Germany and you know really got to experience uh, just just different levels of basketball as well mm -hmm. as different types of basketball, which was really cool to see. And um, as a kid who thought I knew it all, I got to see that you could do it so many different ways and have success. Mm -hmm. And, you know, getting my ass kicked by Barcelona uh, when I was in Granada and, you know, seeing Ricky Rubio's team that I was on in, in uh, Barcelona and mm -hmm. seeing these young, really hungry um undersized guards have success like one guy who's still playing is Paul Ribas he actually went back to Badalona mm -hmm. and I remember when I first met him I was like who's this little skinny you know I think he was maybe 20 years old at the time and he was our captain and you know he goes on to play in the national team so I, I just I just I just got an appreciation for how basketball is so complex and different and you can do so many different things well to make you successful. Mm. And and what I've seen is that your your first season in the ABA was was with the Lakers, yeah. uh, which is you know I think it was 2007-2008 season, which as as we all know was was the Lakers had a championship caliber team. Yeah. What was it like you know being a part of that team that had so much talent uh, and that was competitive, that was aiming for a championship? Um, yeah, it, it was interesting. Well, now that you say that, because living it um, the previous year, there was a lot of, or not a lot, but there was some media attention on Kobe for kind of throwing his teammates under the bus during the series. You know, they had struggled. They had, you know, they had a couple journeymen at playing starting roles, and 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 Kobe was really. I don't know if you guys probably don't remember, but Kobe asked for a trade right at the beginning of the season, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and he was really disgruntled. He wanted to win and didn't feel like the team was providing him enough talent to win. So, you know, one being on that team, you're, you're kind of a little uncomfortable uh, because of that personality type is really seeking to succeed. 
at the highest level like he already had. Um, so when we went to training camp, Kobe, Phil had us introduce ourselves as a, in the first team meeting. You know, I'm Kobe Carl, went to Boise State University. And, um, you know, all the rookies went first and up into the vets. And, and when it got to Kobe, you know, he was, he's, he's always kind of to himself, but he just said, I'm Kobe Bryant. I want to win a championship. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> very simple, and, very straightforward. Yeah. And, uh, and that sets the tone, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because that's that type of seriousness. And, and we all know, looking, looking back now on his life, you know, unfortunately we lost him, but uh, looking back on his life, how, how powerful that, that drive was for him and then how influential it was on his teammates and, and, and organizations and, and society in general, um, uh, that he was able to create those things. And, and we ended up trading for Pau Gasol. So, so we started the season off as kind of an unknown and then we got Pau and you could tell there was an energy, you know, Bynum stepped up and, and uh, Lamar was playing great and, it, everything kind of fit into 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 where it was supposed to be you know unfortunately we ran into a really strong veteran team physical team in, in Boston that mm. overpowered us and um you know they were just at a different point in their their careers at that point and and we learned a lot of lessons and unfortunately I wasn't able to reap the benefits of those lessons because I ended up getting cut the next season mm -hmm. but as, as we know uh they went on and and had an incredible stretch with Powell as as the as Kobe's you know right hand man yeah 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 that was that was actually a great team and and a lot of talent it was it was coached by Phil Jackson so it just I think I think it took them a bit longer to kind of get to that level especially when you take in, in into account that Boston Celtics team that also had a lot of talent and they also had to win immediately. So for them it was also, you know, it's a championship or a bus season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's been documented pretty well that um, Kobe challenged Powell that, that summer to, to be more physical and to stand up to the bully that, that, you know, Kevin Garnett were Kendrick Perkins were uh, to them. And, and it, and it, you know, it's not, his, it wasn't his nature. Uh, he was all, you know, he's more skilled and, you know, just better, just a better talented, more talented basketball player. But it was really cool to see that maturation and, and see that that development. And and now you can see in Powell when he talks about Kobe and that relationship, how much he appreciated that his teammate pushing him to to be better and, and to challenge himself to 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 want more. So that's a, that was a fun fun thing about being part of that group is just seeing the start of it and then seeing where it ended. Mm -hmm. You've um, also been a part of the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2009, which also yeah. gave you an opportunity to play alongside another great player, which is LeBron James. Um, what was what was your how how would you describe you know um, the difference between them? Not just in terms of playing style, because we're pretty much aware that they were two different players, but how they approached the team, their teammates, practice. What kind? What you know? What, what was? What was? What, what do you think were the similarities and the differences between them? Um, so I mean, they were at such different points in their career. It's, mm -hmm. it's a. It's a. It's a. Everyone always wants to know in um, that question, uh, but they were at such different points. You know, LeBron was such a young star at that point. He was just making his way. Obviously, he, he had already proven himself. I think he went to the finals and lost to San Antonio earlier in his career and he had taken a couple teams on his back and um but he he still was he was still seeking that um that that the championship he was still seeking that attention to be the best in the world and and 
you know, he had the work ethic, which was, was very similar to Kobe's in, in that he was in the, he was in the weight room every morning, getting his work in and put, he loved playing the game. Um, but when I got with Kobe, he, he had already kind of won a couple of championships and he had already, he was already on that. Um, he'd really established his professional habits in terms of what, how he works, when he works and, you know, figuring out learning from coach Jackson and some of those veterans of, of, you got to take some time off some, from time to time. And, uh, you know, during the season, there's different, um, you know, coach Jackson always said there's three different acts this season, you know, first act, second act and third act. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of a build up in the middle section. So it was just a very different time in their careers, but, um, I'd never seen when I played with LeBron, I'd never seen anyone affect the game in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, he could physically dominate on the defensive end, block a shot, get the rebound, going down a transition, then dunk on you and just change the whole game. Whereas Kobe did it in more of a mental psychological way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he was obviously lethal in so many different ways, especially once that you got into the half court at the end of the games, you know, he was meticulous with, with his execution there, but he didn't have the same physicality that, that LeBron had in, uh, in, and youth, like LeBron was so energetic at that point, he he would do things that were, you know, he still doesn't today, but it, at that point it was just, that's who he was and so youthful. Um, so it was, it was very different. It was almost like seeing, it was, it was like seeing a young savant and now you see LeBron and how meticulous he was and, or is, and he's learned so many of these tricks. It's just, you know, as, as you know, as a basketball player, you know, playing against a, a high school kid, even if they're, you know, more talented, more energetic, you know, once you learn the tricks, it, it, all that stuff goes away. And um, and that's the fun part of being around coaching for so long is I, I've kind of had an inside view on that. And, and I, I, I got to know some of those secrets and, uh, and learn them before a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to your playing career, um, because you have this experience of, of, of playing in the States, in, in the G League and the NBA, and then later on in Europe, what do you think are the main differences between the playing style or the style of play that is, you know, dominant in, in, in the United States in, in comparison to Europe? Uh, was, was it anything that was surprising for you when you came to Europe in terms of how things are, you know, um, how, 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 how basketball is perceived maybe? Uh, yeah, it was very surprising just to hear, you know, some of my coaches and the players, their interpretations of the NBA game compared to the profession or the, compared to the European game and um, some of those players. And then the styles are so different. So, I mean, I guess I'll start with the rules. You mm-hmm. know, the rules are so different. Um, there's no defensive three seconds in Europe, so you can clog the paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, the rules as well in the NBA is, you know, the physicality, uh, isn't allowed as much, you know, back in the nineties with those, those rough and tumble, like New York Knicks teams. And it was, it was like a brawl, right? The Pistons teams. And, and, and and Europe is very similar to that. Whereas the NBA has changed their rules to make it a more fluid game and allow, um, these extraordinary athletes to ex, you know, show that, show their skills without having to, you know, hit the floor every, every time down the, down the court. Um, so I think the rules and then the way the game is reft is very different. Uh, I would say it's just like having a disciplinarian like teacher, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like the European game is very, uh, very tight. You know, you have to be very tight with your skills. And and what that does is you see these extremely skilled players coming out of Europe because 
you know, they're not allowed to travel. They're, you know, they have to deal with these, these really big, strong, physical bigs, you know, protecting the paint and the referees aren't calling it. So I think that was the biggest thing is, you know, a foul in Europe is, is definitely a foul in the NBA, but a foul in the NBA is not always a foul in Europe. You know, we, mm-hmm. you see a lot of young Americans, including myself, going to the paint and get hit and knocked off their feet. Um, but, you know, the referees won't call it because the, it's legal guarding position for a European game. Whereas in, in America, uh, you go into the paint and do the same thing at, at the pro level and it's an automatic foul unless you're in, you know, perfect, perfect position. So uh, it, it is a fascinating thing just to see. And then you, 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 you see our, you know, our USA team go over and play in, in these European competitions and, and it takes them some time to get used to the travel rule, to get used to the, the mm-hmm. physicality that they're not getting these, these little fouls um, that they get on a nightly basis in the NBA. So yeah, it, it's a, it's, it's fun. It's fun to just see it. Uh, um, and then obviously experiencing it was a little more difficult because I had to adjust to it and I was getting called for travels and getting <laughs> frustrated for not getting foul calls. Uh, so it wasn't as fun as a player, but it, it is fun now being a little older and, and I don't have to experience that emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you actually, um, after your playing career was over, you made a transition to being a coach. What was your motivation behind, behind you know, going into that direction? Did, yeah. did, did that came naturally or you, you kind of took some time off, tried to figure out what you're going to do or you were ready, you know, you, you kind of had it planned, you know, I want to be a coach. I want to stay with basketball in some way, shape and form. Yeah. I mean, I always looked at my dad and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's a lot of things about my dad that were difficult through his life and, you know, mm-hmm. that he, we create some stress, like his lifestyle, create some stress amongst our family and, and different things like that moving and uh my parents marriage got broken up because of some of those stresses but I always looked at my dad and saw you know he had this incredible community of people that were extremely motivated extremely connected um and and really enjoyed what they did and and you know they're playing a game you know it's like so I always saw that and I was like man like what if I could do this for a living? You know, like I, I don't want to sit at a desk and like inside, like I love, I love exercise. I love playing. I love competing. I love the the creativity and, mm-hmm. and the amazing things that happen on a basketball course. So like, what if I could do that? So I always kind of looked at it from that way. And then as I got later in my career, the, the NBA offered a program that you could coach when you were still playing uh, some of the top high school players in, the, in, in America. Mm-hmm. And so I went to that program and coached and, Um, I got I got an opportunity to try these things that all these amazing coaches that had helped me be a professional player I got to try some of these things and I and I realized that like some of these high school coaches or some of the the players that were at the camp didn't know some of these like little tricks so I was like really excited it's like okay like I kind of have the the I can help people Mm -hmm. and now that I think at the end of the day looking back is I wanted to be I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. Now being on a team, you're, you're part of something bigger than yourself, but also uh, I, I love the feeling of bringing, you know, you bringing me and bringing three other people or whatever, 12 other people together and doing something uh, that's exciting for us. I, I love that. And, and, and then also moving our lives forward in a positive way where, where you're learning life lessons and I'm learning life lessons. And then we'll have this bond for forever because 
we went through some really difficult times together and then we went through some incredible times together. So I think just doing something for, for others was really what, what brought me to the profession uh, of coaching is it wasn't about me. Coaching for me is it's not about me. It's about our, our team. It's about our players. Uh, it's about my staff and, and the, you know, what I can do for, for other people. So I think that's really what, what brought me there is, as a player, it's almost, there's a selfish nature to it because like, I'm always working on my body on training my skills and um, you only get to be on a team for, you know, nine, six months out of the year. Uh, and still, you know, it's still focused on me. Whereas as, as a, as a coach, I, I get the opportunity to, to help others. Mm -hmm. um, you've been a coach for the past four or five years now. And and I'm always curious when I'm asking this question is 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 since you are also I mean as as a coach you ask you always have to develop players are there any secret ingredients to developing a player and a successful team Have you figured it out maybe No I don't have any secrets I mean um I've had I've had the opportunity to be around my father and coach Jackson and you know great leaders like Kobe and Derek spent time with me and were willing to talk about some of these things. So I, I have an idea mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, like, you know, as well as any, any of us is like, when you're on that team, you just have this feeling, right? There's just this feeling of camaraderie. So I, I have an idea, um, but I'm still trying to figure out like, what is it? And, and I don't know if there is one thing. I think, mm -hmm. I think the intention itself of, of trying to bring people together to do something that's really difficult, uh, that in itself allows a really special energy um, to occur. Uh, but I do think that, you know, looking at the whole person is really important and something mm -hmm. I've learned from Phil mm -hmm. and something my dad did really well is like, not, you know, um, I talked to a, a great scout that worked for the Bulls and coach Jackson. Um, uh, his name's <laughs> I'm forgetting his name, but he was talking about when you're evaluating a player, there's, there's five things that you can evaluate. There's the physical skills mm -hmm. or the physical is, you know, athletic ability or whatnot, or height strength. <laughs> then there's the technical skills of, you know, can I shoot a three? Can I dribble with my left hand pass with my left? And then there's the tactical skills and uh of like how to know how to play know when to cut you know the timing kind of things that, that mm -hmm. as you get older you you get better at and then the things that i think um a lot of coaches that i played for didn't appreciate were the psychological mm -hmm. and then the sociological you know and, and the psychological is you know what's my mental framework how do i view the world and then how can I put that into a team, you know, we're all different and, you know, for better or worse, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But as a team, you got to appreciate those things. And sociological is like, where do you fit into this, this group? Where do you fit mm -hmm. into the world? Where do you fit into your community? And I think those were the things that I, I actually stopped playing because I didn't think like I was like coaches appreciated those things either about me or like, like what a team is really about is like, it's about bringing people together mm. and it doesn't matter where you're from is we're here to do something together and really kind of trying to teach young people who are very, um, you know, as athletes, we're very egocentric and we're very confident in ourselves and we, and we want more and more and more. And um, so I think those are the things that I've really been infatuated with over, over my career as a coach is how do we, how do we appreciate, you know, your psychology will and where you're from and then incorporate that into where we are as a group. And I think that's really the superpower of, of coaching is, is if you can bring people together and really make them understand, you know, what makes you tick. And then 
what makes me tick. And then if I can do those things that is necessary for you to be successful, that makes us special. I remember, you know, coach Jackson one time when we were in the film room and with the Lakers, uh, it was probably middle of the season, maybe two thirds of the way through the season. And he just stopped and he, and he, and he kind of told all of our guys, he's like, you guys, you know, it's necessary for you to know each other just as well as you know yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he pointed out examples. He's, he's like, you know, you know, you, you know, if someone scores on Derek Fisher, that Derek's going to come back and attack his, his player, because that's, that's what he wants. And, and you know, that if, if someone hits Sasha, that he's going to try to fight, you know, he's going to try to fight him. And he, and you know, that if Kobe doesn't get a foul, he's going to complain. And, and he wasn't saying this in a judgmental way, which I think is really special about coaching is it's in a non-judgmental way. Um, he was just saying, you got to know that because when Kobe gets fouled and doesn't get the call, we have to get his back and we got to play four on five for a couple of seconds until he comes down the floor. And that's just the nature of it, uh, of, of teams is we have to deal with all these, these little nuances. And you actually brought a really good point. It's all about getting different people from, from, from different, you know, um, that have different mindsets on, on working on a common goal, which sometimes can present, you know, it, it's a challenge and, and you have yeah, to work. Absolutely. And, and I mean, for example, like, you're from Croatia, right? Yeah. And 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 I play with a, a couple of different Croatians. I play with some Serbians and, you know, like just learning, you know, the mindset that you guys grew up with. And it was so much different than the mindset of American or an Italian or a Spanish. And and then I never appreciated that, but I wasn't very good re- with relationships. But I, I, you know, I'm still friends with one of my teammates, I- Ivan Zorowski. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we had a really difficult conversation because he was frustrating me and I was frustrating him. But like that conversation really brought like one, I was like, Oh man, like he's right in a lot of different ways. And then he kind of was like, yeah, you're right. Like I'll try to be a better teammate or, you know, you know, whatever it was. But I think that, that willingness as a, as a person and a teammate Mm -hmm. to have that conversation is really where it all starts and ends is, just having that conversation, the willingness to admit that I don't know everything um, and I can learn from you or I can learn from someone else is, is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, something that a lot of you know, coaches in general, but great coaches as well, um, you know, it's, it's always getting players to buy into the coaching system that they're trying to implement. Um, so essentially, my question to you is, how do you get players to buy into um, something that you're trying to impose and 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 you know what, what is what, what what is the process yeah i think it is i'm still learning so much uh and and i'm still figuring that out like being away from the game i've been in boise idaho away from and we haven't coached for a year because of the pandemic so i've had a lot of time to think about all this stuff and i think um it's always a combination of, of everything. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one, I have a, a, I have something that I'm used to doing. Like I'm comfortable playing fast offensively. I'm, I'm used to playing aggressive, you know, attack oriented offensively and, and without post-ups with really good spacing, spacing the four, four out, five out situations where we can play drive and kick. But also if I don't, um, if I don't appreciate who I have on my team, if that's not what's best for them, then I need to, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to have to adapt. So I think it's, it's always a process of really looking at who you have and who you're coaching um, as well as what you're good at. And so like, um, I think in the G league, it's really interesting for us because one, we, I, 
I basically work for Frank Vogel in the Los Angeles Lakers is we're trying to get Frank help. We're trying to give that coaching staff and that organization help to prepare our players to play for them. Um, but also those players aren't going to play that same role. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Alex Caruso actually said this summer and we, we talked about as an organization, like putting it, putting it on the wall. It's like the Lakers aren't looking for, you know, uh, a score. I don't know what the exact quote was. He was basically saying like, they just, they want a great role player. Like you're, you know, the MVP of the G league very rarely gets called up and plays in the NBA for long, but you know, a guy like Alex Caruso, who is able to do all the little things like defense, a uh, really good communicator, hustle plays, um, really good passer, uh, you know, fundamentally sound, uh, you know, made open shots, finished layups, like all these very simple things. He was really good at those things. Like, and, and it was basically the, the saying, like, be a star, be a superstar in your role. And so it's really difficult to, so I can't, I can't necessarily like, well, if you're our best player, I can't necessarily say, okay, we're just going to feed you over and over and over again, because that's not, that's not what's going to get you to where you theoretically want to go and being in the NBA. So it's, it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's difficult in, in that sense at the G league level. But I mean, in general, as a coach, I think it's uh, like, that's the fun of it is, is figuring out what's best for your team, where will they find the most success, but also using your experience and wisdom and knowledge and saying, I know that this is what they think is best, but you know, I, I, I know if we want to get to where we want to get to um, that we need to change some things. And, and I think that's where really good coaches are, are able to um, kind of teach and uh, explain and kind of meet their players halfway and, and then hold their hand on, on, on that journey. Mm. Um, and in terms of, you know, having, you know, working with, with players from the G league and, um, who are you know up and coming and trying to make their way to the NBA? How do you recognize a good player? Not just from a from a from a basketball standpoint, but also you know from their mindset, the mentality that they have, you know how they approach the game. Yeah, it's a great question because we we you know we didn't we didn't participate in the G League bubble this year, so we scouted it as a coaching staff and we had a lot of conversations about all these different players, which was a great opportunity for us to kind of take a step back and see what other teams are doing, mm-hmm. what is being, what's successful. Um, and then really take a deep look at the individual players. And then also like looking at college players. Um, I would say uh, I'm always attracted to aggressive um, players who are willing to fight mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily physically get into a fight, but willing to take contact, willing mm-hmm. to take a hard foul, willing to, um, you know, airball a shot, run back, and then, you know, block the, block the transition layup. Like these, like the next play speed is something that, that I think elaborates on that is, is just that willingness to always participate in the game and not take themselves out of the game by a mistake or a failure. Um, So, uh, but I think that's the general, that's kind of the psychology of, of the athlete that I look for is, is who's willing to compete and really get into the mix but there's also other guys that, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily what they do. Like we talked about Pau Gasol. That's not his thing. He wasn't a physical player. He learned, he, he learned how to do it and he did it to the necessity that, you know, got him to be successful. You know, for example, we, we coached Travis Ware, who I, who I just talked to this morning and he was a very skilled player, six, nine, and he wasn't soft by any, any means, but, um, 
he, it just wasn't his nature to be super physical. Mm-hmm. And, and so you need those guys too, because he was a 40, you know, 40% three point shooter, mm-hmm. six, nine, pretty good athlete could put the ball on the floor, you know, knew where to be, uh, you know, really pretty good, um, team defender you know he could do a bunch of different things so it, it's I mean it, it's endless it, it really depends on what you're looking for as an organization and also what you're looking for as a as a staff but I think the game is evolving as well um, you know looking at a guy looking at some of these players that are coming out of the, the uh, American college game right now uh, the big guys it's just really hard right uh, mm-hmm. you know these these post-up players some of these elite players it's just if you can't run up and down the floor at a really fast pace, it's really hard to play in our game right now. And, and I think that's where you see some of these American players go overseas and have a lot of success because the game in some of those countries are a little slower, more half-court oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, you, um, you had the opportunity to, you know, work with Phil Jackson. You know, your dad is a coach. Um, what are the main things that you learned from them that you can apply um when you're coaching your your players um do you take something out of both of them or yeah no absolutely i I think the one thing that's uh that's the same between them i i guess i'll start there is it's always about the team Mm -hmm. like team comes first and i think it's really like we already talked about it i think it's really difficult for you know 19 20 year old young 30 year olds um to really understand that because we're so driven to be successful and, and whatever got us to that point, you know, is, is our drive to succeed and compete. Um, but it's, it's always about the team. And then, you know, with those guys, if once you get them to understand, then they're very comfortable in that. Once you, once you get the, the, once you feel the support of your teammates and the success that you can have when you help others and be part of something bigger than yourself, it's really easy. But that, that first initial thing is really difficult. You know, my dad was an uber competitor. You know, he, uh, a friend of mine uh, who actually does our my podcast with me and, and does my dad's podcast too, he asked my dad of uh, his difference between um, or his thoughts on my dad's style versus Phil's style as a coach. And my dad articulated it really, really well. He said, Phil looked at the game as a dance. I looked at the game as a war. And... <laughs> And, or, or, you know, he coached the game like it's a dance, whereas my dad coached the game like it was a war. And I think that's a beautiful way to describe it. Um, whereas, you know, I saw Phil where he was very kind of hands off, let you let you figure it out. And, and mm-hmm. it was a dance. You know, you saw guys kind of floundering around and figuring it out as they go, which which is very valuable uh, for for a person to, to have. But also he had a very, very um keen skill at pointing out um when necessary the important things you know mm-hmm. he would uh, he would assert himself if he needed to assert himself you know he would let people make mistakes but if there was ever you know if you were getting out of sorts or you know taking away from the team he would point it out in a very strong you know alpha way which was uh very impactful mm-hmm. especially when he's so laid back most of the time that uh you can see that you know, you don't want to mess with them. Um, I heard the other day, you know, like as a coach, you kind of always have to keep that air of like that they like you, but they're a little scared of you. I think mm-hmm. Steve Kerr was actually talking about that. And, and Phil had that ability is like, you know, everyone was comfortable with Phil and liked him, but I think he had that ability that you, you weren't sure you were a little scared of him at times too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, that brings me to my other question. You know, what what do you think separates a good go coach from a from from a great coach? We 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 touched upon a few 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 things along the way, but what do you think are you know some of the key things that 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 you know makes a great coach? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's different for each person, to be honest. Um, you know, like a Tom Thibodeau, I think he's a, he's, he's like good to great. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I don't know where, where he is on that, that, that list, but you know, you look at what he's done in New York and it's, it's incredible. You know, yeah. he, he did it in Chicago, uh, New York's been struggling for so, so long. Um, but for like him, it's, it's like this, this, this dedication, he creates this passion to be grinders and, and be really, you know, like this mindset almost. Um, whereas Phil was, you know, a little hands off. It was more like a mystical kind of feel. And my dad was like an Uber competitor and he got his teams to really, really play mm -hmm. hard. Um, Don Nelson was a little creative, you know, like, so I think, you know, you know, I'll go back to my podcast when we had Phil on, that was, that was the first thing that we talked about with awesome was authenticity. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the one thing I learned from him is, is like how I do it. You know, me speaking for Phil is, is not how you would do it, Kobe and, uh, or you would do it, Will. And so I think, I think that's, is, is really finding what's authentic to you and what you believe in. I think that's what makes a great coach is, is they're just being authentic to who they are. Um, and then one thing that I learned from Phil, who, you know, obviously has won all these championships and, and I went to visit him in Montana at his home and I was asking him a bunch of questions and I asked him, you know, like what, you know, like what made you successful? Like, you know, it's obviously this huge open-ended question, but he thought about it and he, and he answered it and he just said, you know, a lot of it had to do with luck. Yeah. Yeah. Very humbling. It's very humbling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I don't think he's saying that is like, he's not a good coach. I don't think he's saying that and that someone else isn't a good coach or whatever it is. But I think it's the appreciation that, you know, he got lucky that he was in Chicago when Michael Jordan was there, you know, like who, like what, who figured that out? And that, you know, he befriended Tex winners and Tex winners was friends with Jerry Krause. And, you know, like these things just add up, like, you know, through that conversation with Phil, you look at, he was, he was going to start teaching, you know, he was going to quit coaching basketball and start teaching because he just, he wasn't, he was, he didn't find like a job yet. It's so like, we're talking about this guy who ends up winning, you know, 11 championships as a coach was about to be a teacher. So I, I think a lot of it is just, you know, being ready for the opportunity and then taking advantage of the opportunity. Because I think of, you know, like looking at my dad, you know, he played for Dean Smith, mm -hmm. like, like, and he was about to go to a different school. And he, he talked to me about, he was in this like all-star game in Pittsburgh and, and uh, Bill Guthridge, who was an assistant coach for the North Carolina Tar Heels at the time mm -hmm. for Dean Smith, saw him and offered him a scholarship and he went there and that changed his life forever. Mm -hmm. And so like these things, like, I just don't think we know, uh, you know, what makes a great coach. I think um, your intention, like, you know, caring about other people, mm -hmm. I think uh, obviously hard work and, and being aware uh, and like seeing what's going on and, and accepting things as they are, I think very valuable things that you can, that we, we've kind of articulated throughout this conversation. Um, You've been around the game for, for such a long time, and, and we all know the trends in the NBA change, I would say, every decade or, yeah. decade or so. Um, what do you think about the quality of, of the game itself in today's NBA? And do you think the trend that we have now, where, where it's, you know, it's a shooting-oriented game, 
do you think that will change or it will stay here for for a longer period of time I think, I mean, until the rules change, I don't think the, you know, the, the facts of, you know, shooting three pointers is, is much more valuable than two pointers isn't going to change. So until the rule changes, I don't think it will change. So I think it will take something, you know, the, those people making a decision. Um, I do think the trend of, you know, like offensive basketball will change uh, in terms of like the spacing. I think it will, I think we'll probably start trending. At least this is my feel. Um, will start trending to more of a structure game, like more of a European game, you know, with spacing, like, uh, and, and I'm trying to figure out what that looks like for myself, but uh, you know, utilizing the spacing and the drive and kick stuff that, that you see with all these uber talented athletes in the NBA, but also finding a way to incorporate all five guys on the floor. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I played in the triangle and that's what made the triangle special is while I, maybe I didn't get a shot. I knew I was part of the offense because I knew that this cut, this pass, uh, this spacing was all part of, you know, what got Kobe Bryant that shot or what got mm-hmm. Pau Gasol that, that post up, you know? And so I think, I think we're going to probably start seeing um, a more integrated game with more players incorporated into the spacing. Um, at least that's my hope. And, and that's my feel right now. But um, that was what, what my dad was really good at, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but he was probably like one of the first people like after D'Antoni to really go to a driving kick, you know, play, play mm-hmm. shooting bigs, um, you know, but that his, his Denver team and um, with Ty Lawson, you know, it was a really fast paced, fast break mm-hmm. team. And I think they were 29th in the NBA in three point percentage. And they were averaging like some ridiculous amount of points and points in the paint and free throws. So like, uh, my dad was really good at kind of seeing where the game was going and taking that jumping, jumping ahead of it and mm-hmm. just going all in. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my feel. I, I, I'm excited to see where it goes and I'm, I'm really um, honored to be part of be, have an opportunity to be part of that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, coaching in the G league. Um, we, um, it seems like in, in today's NBA, um, there's a lack, well, at least that's what the fans say, that there's a lack of good centers, you know, dominant big men, um, because everybody are now on the perimeter for the most, for the most part. Um, do you think we'll ever see dominant centers in a way, like old school centers like Patrick Ewing, Hakeem, Shaq? Do you think we'll ever see players like that in the NBA um, in the near future? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we, we don't know. I, I, I would say I wouldn't think so. I think, you know, you're seeing kind of what a dominant center looks like now in Joel Embiid before he got hurt. Um, and, you know, he's an extraordinary athlete, like this, this huge, strong, talented player. Um, and, and I think that's what it's going to look like is, is this guy that can do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. like this, you know, the Lakers just acquired Andre Drummond, you know, same thing. This guy is, uh, a force um granted he doesn't have the offensive skills but he's a really good athlete yeah and these these i think that's what you're going to see and, and granted Shaq was an incredible athlete and these guys were incredible athletes but like, like we talked about i just don't statistically it just doesn't make a lot of sense to to post up anymore mm-hmm. um you know unless you're trying to get guys in foul trouble or end of the game situations where you need a bucket like those are the really important times to post up um so I just I just don't think it will go back to that. Uh, Jason Kidd, you know, I've got to know him over the year over the last couple of years with when he's been with Los Angeles, and he always says in the Lakers um, 
film sessions, you know, he always said like, no stress, no stress. So he, and what he was talking about, like when they were watching the offensive clips, it was like, watch the ball movement, the ball moves around and, and you see like a drive, you know, there's no contact, you know, limited contact on the drive. He moves it to the next guy and, and that guy has no one guarding him. And I think, I think we know now probably better than we did 20 years ago that that is, it's possible one because the rules are changing, but also it's, it's much harder to guard, right? If you just keep moving the ball in this, yeah. uh, this fashion where you really, you don't have to take the physical pounding. You don't have to play against the multiple defenders. And I think that's what, why you see the game changing so much, at least from what I see and what I've learned, um, that it's just, it does, it just doesn't make a lot of sense unless you get to that end of game situation or, you know, like the, the more of the strategy that lasts four minutes, maybe of the game. Mm -hmm. And um, going back to, you know, you, as a coach, you're always on the lookout for great players and, and players that you can build around your team. Um, when it comes to the current players in the NBA, uh, which player would you love to build your team around? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't study the NBA too much. Uh, but I, I've always, I've just appreciated what Luca's done at such a young age. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's just fun to watch, you know, a young guy come over, like his story is pretty cool. Uh, you know, having played in the same league he played in, in Spain, um, and, and competed against, uh, that, that same caliber of player and then see what he did at a young age and then came over and, and had similar success. And and I I think the one thing I love about him is just that he's he's such a dynamic passer and playmaker and, mm -hmm. and but he loves to take the big shot like so I mean for me it's just fun to watch a guy like that because uh, like we were talking about in terms of like where's the game going his style allows everyone to feel part of it because he's mm -hmm. not it's not just about him he, he you know very similar to LeBron in that way and that he's mm -hmm. he's he's sharing it more than he's necessarily scoring and and everyone always talks about, or I mean, not everyone, but you look at LeBron and you look at what he's done with his points, same thing with Luca. Uh, but you look at their assists. And I think that's what makes them really special and different is, is that ability to incorporate so many different people where they're averaging almost 10 assists a game, mm -hmm. uh, which, which, you know, people want to play with those guys. And, and the reality with the, with the way the business of basketball works if people want to play with you, you can have a better team because they're going to be willing to take less money and they're going to, you know, I mean, we saw it when LeBron was in Cleveland, he got, he got some of the best players in the world to come to Cleveland and play with him. And, you know, I've played in Cleveland for, for a half a season. It, there's not a lot out there in Cleveland. You know, there's not a lot of sunshine. There's, there's not, you know, there's not a lot, not a lot to do. So it's a credit to who LeBron was and, and that, that type of player with, with like Luca. Mm -hmm. And and interesting, it's interesting that you brought up Luca because it's it's when I, when I watch him play, it seems like he's always shifting gears. Like he's not the most athletic guy, he's not you know gifted that gifted in that regard. But he's a you know six seven six eight point guard. He can you know they're much athletic players on, on who are guarding him, but it seems like they're not able to stop him. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and I think. You're absolutely right because you're looking at a guy compared to right, like we're comparing him to like um, John Wall or Russell Westbrook, who are these extraordinarily fast, explosive athletes. Where I think, you know, Luca has that ability to change pace and, and kind of play at his own pace, which really keeps you keeps you off balance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good lesson that I learned when I played in Europe, like we already talked about 
where it, you don't have to be a really good athlete. You just have to be able to, you know, play your game and keep the defense off balance or, you know, whatever it takes. And, you know, like we were talking about how Phil coached the game as like a dance. And you look at a guy like Luca, and it is kind of like a dance, right? He's, he's always – but he's calling the shots. He's 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 playing at his own pace. He's making, you know, the, the defender off balance. If you're going to blitz him, he's going to you know pull you away from the the, the basket. You know, it, it's fun watching those guys, especially like him at, at such a young age. But LeBron does an excellent job of it. Um, Chris mm-hmm. Paul does an excellent job. You know, these elite playmakers, point guards, that can just manipulate a whole defense by by you know you as a coach. I try to be aggressive in the pick and roll and he makes me look stupid and or you know as a coach you you try to you know play a scheme and then you know they just they're they're very aware of what's going on on the court which makes it you know from a strategical standpoint it's really difficult to coach against them but also it's really fun to see a player that's capable of doing that and understanding Mm -hmm. what's going on at a at a you know deeper level yeah i mean those type of players really impact the game on so many levels and it's like watching a surgeon on during an operation you know it seems yeah, like they're always two or three steps ahead of you know the competition yeah i mean i, I i'm a big soccer fan or football fan so i think you look at guys like you know some of the great midfielders like they're always aware of where they are and and they can kind of there's this great sense of before the play happens they, they they're ahead of it and you look at a guy like Lionel messi you know um I watched a documentary on him and he has that knack of, he doesn't move a lot, but he's always surveying. He's always seeing it. He's always feeling it. And then once he attacks, he's like a snake. It's like, it's already too yeah. late. You know, <laughs> like he's already gone by three, four or five defenders and the balls in the back of the net. It's the same thing with, with uh, these, these really good basketball players is they're able to survey, see kind of calculate. And then, you know, it's already too late. Like the, yeah. the scheme didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and Messi. Now that you brought Messi, he's um, you know a wonder kid, and then I guess one of the best football players in the world. And like you said, he's and he's deceptively fast. Like he doesn't seem like that, but when he (laughs) when he goes off, like it's impossible to stop him. Yeah, I mean, and and like, I think it's a credit to like I I talked to Kobe before he passed, and this when we're talking about Messi, it made me think of him because. Messi had this this ability to like almost 90% of the time he just makes a normal play, right? Mm-hmm. He just passes it off. He 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 move he kicks it and moves it into into space and you know whatever. He's just a normal team player. And I was talking to Kobe about like why the triangle work and and Kobe was like, "Well, like when I run the triangle, like I get it on the pinch post and I know how, you know, I know how you're defending me." So mm-hmm. like if you're defending me on my right shoulder, the first three and a half quarters of the first 40 you know, 46 minutes a game, I'm just going to let you play me on my right shoulder. I know you're there and I know I could take advantage of that, but when it matters, then I'm going to make the move that's necessary to, that I can get to my left shoulder, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think that's the psychology that I, I've fallen in love with as an athlete, as a, as a coach as well is, is like not always taking the advantage when it's given to you, but taking it when it matters most. Mm-hmm. And you look at an athlete like Lionel, you look at these great ones. It's like, they know what you're doing. You know, they know, they know what's going on. They know they're being double, triple teamed, whatever. And they're going to let you double, triple team until, until they're not, you know, until <laughs> they need to, until they need to score. And then they're going to do what they need to do to, to, to get, to get where they need to get. Yeah. That's, that's like, um, all the great athletes have this kind of, um, 
I would call it edge over the others, but it's 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 hard to pinpoint what that actually is. It's just natural natural ability. It's hard to put. A, it's hard yeah, to I mean, I, No, I I think it's just that like insatiable will to win, right? It's like mm-hmm. you know, like uh, pain causes growth, and I think when you're younger, you 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 attack, attack, attack until you learn like you know maybe you don't have enough energy at the end of the game when it matters most or you know maybe the 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 players start adapting and it's just you know you're not gonna have words for this stuff but you learn like okay i can't do that you know i need to do this and and i think that's what uh i talk about non-judgmental awareness and i think that's where you see the best coaches and players they have this ability to see it and not necessarily judge it as good or bad but they're just aware of it you know they're okay you're gonna do this okay you know like and it's and it's a dance you know you they take that away i'll take this you know they take that i'll take this they give me this i'll you know i'll go here and um yeah i mean that's why i love i love sports i love i love basketball for that reason and you know even watching other sports yeah um i've actually i've i've i've, I've watched um your your podcast curious leader with phil yeah. jackson it was a very interesting conversation because what was interesting for me is that you talked about a lot of things that are not necessarily re- related to basketball and sport itself. Yeah. It was much, I mean, I, I, I think it was a much deeper conversation because you touched upon very interesting um, things that kind of, when you, when you talk about all of them, they, you know, they make a perfect, they make perfect sense. And, and yeah. <laughs> who Phil was as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a player and as a coach and, and then a leader. Um, what is your plan with 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 Curious Leader, uh, with your podcast, um, and and what did, did you learn anything new from from having this conversation with Phil? Yeah, I did, and, and I'm I'm so thankful for my relationship with Phil. I've had a lot of those conversations, just me and him. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea behind our podcast, and you know, I don't know, as you know, there's there's a million podcasts now, right? Uh, but my idea was I have access to Phil. Um, and I think I've earned some trust with Phil where he feels comfortable to have that conversation with me because mm-hmm. we've had a lot of them and I've been honest, he's been honest. And, uh, but so the idea of the podcast in general was uh, have that conversation with these people that I have access to, you know, Jeannie uh, Buss will be coming out soon. Mm-hmm. You know, these people that I've always wondered from like a deeper level, like what goes into what, how you do it or what goes into what Phil does. Because like, as you said, you know, just because I do something doesn't necessarily explain why I do something. And I always want to know the why. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, I think Phil is a magician with his ability to make these really complex things seem very simple. And, 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 and like you said, it's like, he'll, he'll tell a 15 minute story. And at the end of it, like during it, you're like, where the hell is he going? Like, <laughs> I don't even understand half the stuff. And then he, he finishes and you're like, wow. Yeah, no, it does make sense. It does make and, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um that was that was our idea is i just wanted to be able to to share this wisdom and knowledge that i had been seeking for such a long time uh throughout my life is having conversations with my dad having conversations with guys like phil or Derek fisher or kobe and you know um unfortunately we, we won't be able to have that conversation with kobe but like th- those were some of those most powerful conversations i've had is um you know but to be able to share that with other people that are curious, um, you know, hence the name curious leader. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've always been curious about some of these things and, and having the ability to ask them these questions and, and then share that with others is, is, you know, I hope other people value it and that's the ambition. 
Well, um, I'm pretty sure, you know, people will because it, I'm, you know, going back to that conversation because that was um, the first video that you published. It was very interesting because, like I said, you touched upon some topics that, that I guess a lot of people wouldn't ask Phil, um, yeah. especially when it comes to spirituality, you know, how he came about, you know, his story when he worked uh, in Puerto Rico. And, yeah. and you mentioned he was almost, you know, close to, you know, not being a basketball coach, but then luck happened, you know? Yeah. And now he's, he's one of the most accomplished coaches of all time. So, yeah. And, and, I mean, we're talking about Phil, but I think it goes for all of us too. Yeah. And to me, it's like maintaining this faith and in, in that we're, we're where we're supposed to be mm -hmm. and wherever that is and trusting, you know, things as they are, that they're, they're, they're right where they are. And, and that's what I've learned from my time with Phil is, is, is like you spend time with him or I hope you can watch the conversation and, and it comes through, but he's very humble and it's yeah. very, there's no arrogance. There's no, like, I was a great coach. So it's just explaining how he saw it and why he did things the way he did and, you know, where he came from and, you know, what he learned from his parents and, you know, like what he learned from his being raised in the church and all these different things. So I think, um, he's been, you know, very impactful in my life for that, being able to have those conversations with him. So, uh, I thought it was unfortunate what the New York media did with it, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's who the New York media is. Yeah. They're very, um, um, you know, the media always goes for a story, you know, it's all about yeah. having clickbait. It doesn't have to be necessarily true as long as it's out there, you know, that's, that's how yeah. a lot of people operate these days. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting conversation for me because I've been around it my whole life is like seeing my dad in the media and it, it always affected me um, emotionally, like seeing them talk bad about him or seeing how they react to certain situations or seeing that he's going to get fired, whatever it is. Um, but I think Phil is unique in the sense that if, if like you ask him a question, if you have access to ask him a question, he's going to answer it honestly, how he feels. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he's not saying it as a negative or a positive. He's just telling his side, uh, like you asked him the question. And I think what we see a lot now, because of the way the m media reacts to things, you see a lot of people not answering honestly. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then it becomes difficult to learn in those, in those situations or answering with like ego and answering with, you know, like, uh, uh, more emotional than, than like, I guess the, you know, capital T truth, which, uh, you know, it's to be interpreted however you want. And it seems like all great, like not just players, but, you know, all the greats in different areas, you know, in different fields, like uh, a lot of them are humble. Uh, and that's one of the things and one of the reasons why they're so brilliant at the same time, you know, um, ego is, you know, gone. Obviously we all have yeah. ego to a certain degree, and sometimes it's hard to contain your ego, but, but being humble and, and understanding that, you know, you were a part of that process. It's, it's, it's very astonishing when someone who's that successful admits that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And it, it to me, it's inspiring mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, to, to have that level of success and then, you know, not, not change who you are, I guess it's going to change how you are, but um, not make you feel like you're different or better than anyone else. Um, is, is very inspiring. I, I think as you said that, I thought I was watching Gino Oriema last night talking about uh, how the referee didn't call um, a foul in the game that got them to the final four. And I don't know if you're familiar with the clip, but he was just saying, he was like, listen, like, that's the game. You know, I'm not going to apologize 
if it was or wasn't a foul, that's the game. You know, it went in our favor. You know, other times it doesn't go in our favor. And I think that is, um, as a leader, as a parent, um, as a person, I think that's where I aspire to, like, appreciate as well as understand that in our most difficult times that that's just the way life is. It's not always fair. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and to be able to look in the mirror and say, okay, it's okay. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can, I can withstand this and I can maintain my faith and confidence in myself and, and be, be authentic to who I am and, and be kind to other people and be honest and to maintain that through those adversities and also through those successes, mm -hmm. I think is a really, really um, valuable characteristic that I've seen in Phil. And I look at a Gino or Emma, um, you know, the women's, women's basketball coach and, and I see the same thing in, in that commentary uh, um, so it, those I look up to those those comments and, and the way that they handle adversity and success and it's definitely a, a, a nice model mm. um, I mean it's 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 um, it's definitely an approach that I think always in some way brings success um to to whatever you're doing um and I, I wish a lot of more people would apply it and and have yeah. that kind of man's mindset uh, well i think i think it takes a lot of courage right um mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage to accept that we weren't good enough on that day and mm -hmm. that and that we we made choices that didn't bring us success or that that brought our teammates failure you know, I, I think it, you know, raising a six-year-old daughter right now and a, and a four-year-old daughter, like I see these things, there's like shame involved when you, when they make a mistake, there's, you know, there's guilt involved. And, and mm -hmm. I think it's the same things we experience as adults. We just cover them up in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the one thing I want to teach my children and I want to be a good example of as a coach and a parent is, is that it's okay. Like I failed. Mm -hmm. I wasn't good enough today. I need to be better tomorrow. What what can I do to do that? And uh, once you accept those things, then then you're able to um, grow from from that that space. Uh, so, but yeah, a lot of um, you know, life works in in sometimes in mysterious ways. You know, you you can always you can never have only ups. Sometimes you have to fail because usually after fail failure comes success. At least that's what everybody's hoping for. But accepting to fail is, is completely okay. I mean, we're all human beings. That's the nature yeah. of how life works. Well, and, you know, I'll, I'll plug our next podcast with Phil because he talks about, he talks about that a lot with um, the Detroit Pistons and that um, how thankful, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the word, but it seems as if he was almost grateful that they beat them up because that was what they needed to grow. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like all that pain, all that, uh, all those lessons, all those cheap shots, all, you know, whatever it is, that strategy allowed them to be the success that they were for the next three years, which, which is interesting um, because the NBA is so different now is like, will you have a team for five years together? And, and they had, you know, they, they kept that team together. Um, and it's something I've thought about a lot is, you know, because people are moving teams so much is like, you're kind of losing that, um, that, that togetherness in that yeah in that in that group understanding um you know one of my one of my friends leon rice at boise state university who we had on our podcast as well you know it's that shared suffering you know shared mm -hmm. suffering provides growth you know if, when you when you feel pain together you you feel more powerful on the other end of it it might feel miserable uh, at the time but uh 
you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've seen the show on Apple TV, but uh, at the end of it, he talks about, you know, like, you know, suffer together, you know, mm-hmm. you're not alone. Once you, when, when you can really feel pain with other people that builds that bond even closer. And that, that's, a, those are the special things that uh, sports and teams allows us to do. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you actually said it perfectly, you know, it's all about growing together. Um, and when you do that, when you, you know, go through those obstacles and it, it, you know, the bulls were a perfect example, you know, they had, you know, the, the Pistons had success against them for several years. They, you know, stayed together. They, they suffered together. And then, you know, they were, you know, the best team in, in the NBA for several years, which is, yeah. which in my opinion is very different than the NBA today, where it seems like players, I'm not sure if that's, you know, the difference in eras and then how people are brought up, but it seems like, you know, after the first failure, people, you know, players are like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out, you know, I don't want to suffer anymore. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. And yeah, absolutely. People back then, it seems like they were like, okay, you beat me. You know, I suffered, I failed, but I'm coming back next year, you know? Yeah. And I think we always, you know, as we get older, we, we look back and um, kind of make it more special than it is. I'm sure that there, there was the same difficulties going back then as and some of the same bickering. But uh, it does seem like, um, you know, the, the nature of NBA basketball, pro basketball, as well as like collegiate basketball here with the transfer portal. I think there's going to be a thousand players in the transfer portal. And uh, I hope we don't lose like what we're talking about is that ability to suffer and, and accept that we weren't good enough, but we can get better mm-hmm. uh, if we put in the time and the work. But uh, yeah, I mean, now we're just acting like we're old people, you know, talking about <laughs> back, back in our day. Back in our day, yeah. Um, you know, we always conclude um, our conversations, our interviews with, with quick fire questions, very easy going, you know, just okay. simple answers. Um, what was your favorite team growing up? Favorite NBA team growing up? Um, Sonics. The Sonics, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> the original Lob City. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, no, I, Gary Payton was like, I loved his tenacity. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from those teams. I was a ball boy on a lot of those teams. So I got to spend a lot of time with them and experience some of those successes. And uh, what was your favorite player growing up? Michael. Michael. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was, uh, I think also my dad used to always talk so highly about him. He was part of the North Carolina tradition that my dad was, you know, with Dean Smith and, mm. Um, so we, we almost kind of felt like family, like he was part of like our, our tree, you know, mm-hmm. an extended family. And, uh, I had the opportunity to meet him and, uh, and kind of as a kid, that's a pretty incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your, um, you know, all time starting lineup, you know, if you had to choose five players from, <laughs> from the NBA uh, history, like what would be your favorite starting lineup? Yeah. I mean, I'll just go off the top of my head. I would say probably. Uh, I would probably go with Steph, um, Michael. Uh, let's go. Let's go small. We'll go Kobe, LeBron, and then Shaq. Why not? Mm, inter- interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know LeBron doesn't like to play the four, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, but but it's an interesting lineup. Interesting lineup. Um, who do you think are you know top five or or yeah top five players in the NBA right now? Um, I mean, LeBron is still, you know, they're, they're defending champions. So I, I you got to put him there. Uh, Kevin Durant, I thought has shown incredible, 
incredible level when he came back. And yeah. granted, he hasn't played the whole season, but I think what James Harden is doing is, uh, to me, I, I love it because he's had such an interesting career going from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. You know, um, those three came to mind. Uh, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't follow it too closely. The other two names that are coming to mind are Luca and um, Giannis. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I'm probably leaving three or four guys out that, that are very okay. deserving of it. Yeah, very, very good. Very good starting five. Uh, <laughs> um, with, so uh, you mentioned that you don't watch the NBA that much, but what, who do you think will win? Who do you think will, will be in the NBA finals? Um, well, uh, you know, I'm employed by the LA Lakers, so uh, <laughs> there's some, you know, I can't be, uh, I'm a little partial to them. I, you know, they're going through a tough stretch right now, so I'm, I, I'm hoping that this adversity creates that, that shared mm -hmm. suffering and, and they can get through it in a positive manner, um, which, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard. You know, it's, I've talked to some of the, the coaching staff and players, and it's, it's a difficult thing, but I think the Lakers, if, if, uh, if those guys can get healthy, should be there. Mm -hmm. or at least be competing for it and then um you know I, I can you deny what the brooklyn nets look like when they have their their pieces and you know everyone talks has talked so much about james and that's why i love what he's doing is I, i've always because i was in the league uh around when james was a rookie mm -hmm. and james harden came into the league as as a really good field player he had a really good feel in the pick and roll he had like this mm -hmm. passing knack and he developed himself as a scorer and kind of by necessity. But, I mean, you watch him now. I mean, he, he distributes the ball at a really, really high level. And it's, it's, it's cool to see, you know, him playing for Steve Nash because Steve Nash was one of my favorite players. Mm -hmm. So I, I, would say, I would say those two teams. But um, as we talked about earlier, like Phil mentioned, a lot of this stuff has to do with luck. Mm -hmm. You know, injuries, uh, standings, you know, home court advantage referees <laughs> yeah know. there's a lot of factors that are you know up, you know there so yeah so i mean it, it, whenever you win or get to the finals it's an incredible feat uh so hopefully that's the case for for our organization with the lakers and um and then to see what they're trying to do in brooklyn that would be really interesting to be able to have those three on the court when it matters most mm -hmm. uh to see to see what type of results you can produce mm -hmm. Um, Kobe, um, we, we came to um, the end of this interview. It was, it was a pleasure speaking with you. It was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, I, you know, I wish you all the best um, in, in your coaching career. I hope to see you in the NBA or whatever you feel like, like you belong and that you feel yeah. like me. Um, and, and good luck with your podcast. I'll definitely keep an eye. Um, there are some interesting topics that you've discussed, in, like I said, in your previous podcast. So I'm, I'm you know, looking forward to hearing more. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, <laughs> it's always fun to talk basketball. It's always, yeah, basketball is everything, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, not really, but yeah, well, to, to some of us. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting, you know, how, you know, I always perceive it in a way that it's funny how it all started with just the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, ball had, the, you know, the basketball has energy and it produced all of this in, in some way, which is, you know, in my, in my opinion, it's astonishing, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I always tell our players, you know, at the end of the day, it's always it's still the game you started playing when you were five. You know, it's no matter what, if you're playing in the Staples Center, you know, Real Madrid versus Barcelona, it's it's still wherever you picked up your first basketball, it's the same game. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, like I said, one more one more time, you know, thank you. Um, pleasure, pleasure having you on the show, and and good luck with with you know, uh, with coaching career, with with your family, um, and and life in general. 
hopefully we'll be able to chat um, sooner than later yeah in person maybe uh, best luck with you and uh and your guys what you're trying to do over there yeah thank you very much and 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 have a good rest of the day you too take care cheers have a good one